Welcome to the Doc Washburn Show, the show that talks about what you actually care about. We usually stream live at noon Eastern, 11 a.m. Central weekdays at docwashburnshow.com, unless I have some kind of a campaign function I need to go to, then we do it later in the day. But minutes after each live stream is completed, the Doc Washburn Show podcast is available for download at all your favorite podcast platforms. The Doc Washburn Show is on Twitter and Facebook, and you can email us at contact at docwashburnshow.com. This is the 97th episode of the all-new Doc Washburn Show. It's Monday, February 28th, 2022. Coming up in just a moment, what are Biden and the media using Ukraine to distract us from? But first, yes, I was fired by one of the biggest radio companies in America, Cumulus Media, simply because I refused their vaccine mandate. Yes, it's obvious the last U.S. presidential election was stolen. No, my old employer wouldn't allow me to say that on the radio. And yes, there's all kinds of evidence out there that a lot of people are having serious negative reactions to the vaccines. And yes, we must keep the January 6th political prisoners in our prayers. So this is a really different kind of talk show. We are unmasked, uncensored, and unfiltered. If you would like to support what we do, go to our website, docwashburnshow.com, and click on the button that says Become a Patron. Now, I'm running for governor of the state of Arkansas. And I told the ladies at the Saline County Republican Women's Club when I met with them on February 8th, if the Lord provides the money for the $15,000 filing fee, I will file to run for the Republican nomination for governor of Arkansas. And he provided, and much more so. And so I did officially file Friday afternoon. It's official. I'm in it to win it. And I found out the night before, what you have to do is go to the Republican Party of Arkansas uh, official headquarters in downtown Little Rock, Give them the $15,000 check, fill out some paperwork, they give you a receipt, and then you go over to the rotunda at the Capitol, at the state Capitol. Everyone at Republican Party headquarters was so nice to me, and I really appreciate that. Because I've never done this before. I didn't know what to expect. Everyone at the state Capitol was so nice to me. And I really appreciate that. And I was interviewed uh, as soon as I filed by a young lady who is a reporter for the Arkansas Democrat Gazette, the biggest newspaper in Arkansas. And I wound up in the middle of their, uh, their article Saturday. And she quoted me accurately. So, you know, regardless of where you're coming from politically, regardless of where the reporter is coming from politically, if the reporter quotes you accurately, um, I think that's all for the best. I really do. Now, um, about the uh, about the race, I was in Mina. I drove all the way from Little Rock to Mina and back Saturday and met from with some folks there from the uh, – we the People Tea Party Group, and was warmly received. 
So thank you to all the folks in MENA that we met with Saturday. I really appreciate that. Um, I think it would behoove me to tell you about the campaign events that are coming up because people ask about this frequently. Okay, so coming up this Sunday, I'm scheduled to speak at Engaged Ministries Fellowship Church in Lowell, Arkansas, 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m., okay? This Thursday, I'm scheduled to speak to the Informed Citizens Group at their luncheon, 11 a.m., at Larry's Pizza in Conway. All right? Uh, Wednesday, Wednesday we will be at the uh, at the Trucker Convoy's North Little Rock stop at 10 a.m. Wednesday at the Pilot Travel Center, 3300 Highway, 39, Highway 391 North, to see what that's all about. And this evening... I'm scheduled to speak at the Faulkner County Republican Party meeting uh, at 6 p.m. this evening at Vincent's Roadhog, 2850 Prince Street in Conway. And I appreciate our listeners from outside of Arkansas for putting up with this, uh, but I am running for governor, and I have to let my, uh, my listeners in Arkansas know what's going on. So we appreciate all that. So um, this whole Ukraine thing, it's it's nonstop in the media, and we have great concern, and we pray for the people over there. We pray for peace, and we pray that uh, the casualties will be minimized. But there's a lot going on here in the United States that I really believe the Biden regime and the media is trying to keep our focus off of. And I will get to an incredible article by the great Lee Smith that came out over the weekend at tabletmag.com called Ukraine's Deadly Gamble, which really explains better than anything I've seen or read what's going on with Ukraine. Now, we will get to that. But what about what's going on in this country? Now, I mentioned the other day, UK Daily Mail had this big article out entitled, More Evidence COVID Was Tinkered With in a Lab? Now, scientists find virus contains tiny chunk of DNA that matches sequence patented by Moderna three years before pandemic began. That's a big deal. Is anyone talking about this? Anyone at all? Again, fresh suspicion that COVID may have been tinkered with in a lab emerged last week after scientists found genetic material owned by Moderna in the COVID-19 virus's spike protein. They identified a tiny snippet of code that is identical to part of a gene patented by the vaccine maker Moderna three years before the pandemic. It was discovered in SARS-CoV-2's unique furin cleavage site 
the part that makes us so good at infecting people and separates it from other coronaviruses. The structure has been one of the focal points of debate about the virus's origin, with some scientists claiming it could not have been acquired naturally. Of course not. The international team of researchers suggests the virus may have mutated to have a furin cleavage site during experiments on human cells in a lab. They claim there is a one in three trillion chance Moderna's sequence randomly appeared through natural evolution. Um, so there should be a criminal investigation going on on, on on Moderna here. There won't be under this president, under this attorney general, but there should be. And again, there's no statute of limitations on murder. And uh, even if 94% of the people who they say died from COVID actually just died with COVID, and the overwhelming majority of them were senior citizens past life expectancy with several comorbidities, you know what? You still got that 6%. You still have that 6% that actually died from COVID. Okay? I mean, we we thought we were going to lose my son. But for the grace of God, my friend Dr. Daniel Dobby in Panama City, Florida, prescribed them hydroxychloroquine, and ivermectin and a steroid and saved his life. He was gasping for air by the time he got it. So there's there's some people who actually died from the COVID, not just with it. And what does it mean? What does it mean? That the scientists are saying there's a one in three trillion chance Moderna's sequence randomly appeared through natural evolution instead of from human beings goofing around with it in the lab. And why is nobody talking about it? Look, you know, you can turn on Fox News and it's 24-7 Ukraine. And again, God bless them. I feel terrible for the people over there. But wouldn't this qualify to be also a big story? I kind of think this is a big story, too. I kind of think it is. I'm not the sharpest knife in the firmament. I'm not the brightest bulb in the drawer. But I kind of think this is a big story, too. So somebody said, don't ever apologize for standing up for Arkansas. Look, I appreciate that so much. I appreciate that so much. And I got to tell you, it was... um, I was blessed in Mina when I spoke there Saturday afternoon to hear two different candidates for lieutenant governor say, look, I'm running for the position of helping the governor out. Now, whether Doc is elected or Sarah is elected, I'm going to be there to help get 
their agenda through. Well, that was kind of nice. As someone who a month ago would never have run for anything, to all of a sudden be recognized as one of the two Republican candidates for governor of Arkansas by two guys who have uh, been in the political game, shall we say, for quite some time. It was also nice that my campaign manager told me he had a voicemail Friday night from a polling firm wanting to know who he's going to run for governor. So within hours of me filing, it looks like Team Sarah went into full panic mode. Now, before I get to more of what the Biden regime and the media is trying to distract us from with this Ukraine show, let me just say something. People have been saying, well, when are you going to challenge Sarah to a debate? And here's my answer to that. First of all, I'd be happy to debate her, but she can't afford to debate me because there are too many questions she can't answer. There are too many issues she knows nothing about, and there are too many questions like, well, Sarah, do you believe the election was stolen? That she can't answer. Well, Sarah, do you agree with me? that when it comes to our children's education, the curriculum for all the public schools should be online and there should be closed-circuit security cameras in each classroom keeping track of what the uh, teachers are saying to them. She can't answer that because she's too busy meeting with, quote, education leaders, unquote. And do you think one of them is not liberal? There are too many things. There are too many things she can't answer. So she can't afford to debate me. But I'll go a step further. Typically, the candidate demanding a debate is the underdog who thinks he doesn't have a chance and is hoping and praying that the lead candidate will consent to a debate so maybe he'll have a chance to score some points, and to get the attention of some voters. Now, here's the way I look at that when it comes to Republican gubernatorial nomination for Arkansas. Wherever I go, when I put out my stand on the issues, I get wonderful response. I get overwhelming support. I had people coming up to me and Mina who were, who were saying, I was donating on a monthly basis to Sarah, but now I'm supporting you. So I don't think I am the underdog. Maybe Sarah should be challenging me for a debate. Well, she won't. Like I say, she can't afford it. But there's no reason in the world for me to go out there and challenge Sarah Huckabee Sanders officially to a debate. She's not going to do it. Number one, 
Number two, I'm not the underdog. When people hear my message, they gravitate to it. So all we need to do is get my message in front of enough people, and I will defeat Sarah Huckabee Sanders in the primary. There's no question. And the Republican nominee is going to be elected governor. So again, if you want to support our attempt to get my message out there, you can donate online at electdocwashburn.com. All right, thank you very much for that. Now, what else? What else are Biden and the media trying to distract us from? Well, let me share this with you that came out late last week from Forbes magazine. Have you heard about this? A national vaccine pass has quietly rolled out and red states are getting on board. Have you heard about this? Suzanne Rowan Kelleher over at Forbes. They're not talking about this, are they? No. Fox News, CNN, everybody's 24-7 Ukraine. Even as the Omicron variant loosens its grip on the world, just in time for Biden's State of the Union, by the way, destinations continue to require travelers to show proof of vaccination and increasingly, a paper CDC vaccination card is not cutting it. While the United States government has not issued a federal digital vaccine pass, a national standard has nevertheless emerged. To date, 21 states, the District of Columbia, and Puerto Rico offer accessibility to the Smart Health Card, a verifiable digital proof of vaccination developed through the Vaccination Credential Initiative, or VCI. A global coalition of public and private stakeholders, including Microsoft, Salesforce, Oracle, the Mayo Clinic, and other health and tech heavyweights, and very soon... At least four more states will be rolling out access to smart health cards. Dr. Brian Anderson, co-founder of the VCI and chief digital health physician at METER, M-I-T-R-E, says we have seen a notable uptick in states that have officially launched public portals where individuals can get verifiable vaccination credentials in the form of smart health cards with a QR code. There's already an impressively widespread availability of smart health cards in the U.S. More than 200 million Americans can now download, print, or store their vaccination records as a QR QR code. When the QR code is pulled up, only the individual's name, date of birth, and vaccination Information is visible. No other medical information or personal data is shared, so they say. This code is also digitally signed to ensure that the card was issued from a verified location and to prevent forgery. For individuals, 
The benefits of having access to personal digital vaccine record is threefold. Oh, oh, so Forbes likes it. Forbes likes it. Let's see. First benefit is a huge plus for travel in the U.S. and abroad. Many indoor cultural attractions and performance venues in the U.S. require proof of vaccination. Gus Warren, CEO of Bindle, a health verification app that allows venues to verify the vaccination status of patrons, says, we believe it gives people peace of mind when the folks around them are unlikely to be contagious. Oh, what a liar and what a liar. If you don't know by now that you can be fully vaccinated, fully boosted, get the COVID, and be contagious, you might be Gus Warren, CEO of Bindle, who stands to lose a lot of money if the word gets out on that. I'm just saying. Bindle's growing list of clients spans more than 30 states from blue strongholds like California and New York. to red leaners like Texas, Florida, Arkansas, Arkansas, Missouri, and Georgia. At the Kennedy Center in Washington, D.C., for example, there's a bindle lane that offers fast pass-like efficiency in scanning QR codes from a number of vaccine verification platforms used around the world. Okay. Arkansas, huh? What's the deal with Arkansas and Bindle? Friends, that's messed up. That's messed up. My uh, listeners in Arkansas, I bet you didn't know about this, did you? I bet you nobody's telling you about this, are they? See, I'm not a normal person. I do show prep 24-7 to try to get the truth to you. Know what I'm saying? So I'm doing an Internet search for Arkansas and Bindle, and everything comes up Arkansas and Bundle. I want to know what's up with Bendel. Know what I'm saying? That's on the for reals, y'all. What is the deal with Bendel? Okay, let me do a uh, a search just for Bendel without Arkansas. So you actually get the uh, actually get the company's website, vacation and PTO tracking software for growing teams. Full visibility on who's off next week. Check accurate real-time PTO balances at any time. Automatically notify the right people about PTO requests and decisions. Track all PTO and vacation calculations in one easy, error-free place. So you wouldn't know it from the Forbes article, but this looks like a company that's been around for a while. Okay? And software to keep track of vacations and stuff like that. But what's the new deal with vaccination status? 
that they're getting into. I mean, obviously, they're capitalists and they saw an opportunity to expand their business. See, from the Forbes article, I was under the impression this is a brand new company. You know what I'm saying? So I reflexively tried Google first. I apologize. Now I'm trying DuckDuckGo to see if we can figure out what's going on with Bindle and Arkansas. And the only thing that comes up right away is the Forbes article, which clearly did not come up in the uh, in the Google search. But this uh, this is really, really concerning. I'll tell you one thing. You like me, Governor. I'm I'm, I'm gonna do everything I can to put the quietus on this. You know what I'm saying? I'm gonna do everything I can to put the quietus on this. Okay, we got uh, some comments here on the Podbean app. Gentleman says, I want you to follow my weepy uh, my MeWe page. Can't talk this morning. Doc Washburn for governor. Excellent. Okay, I'm going to have to figure out how to how to uh, get on MeWe because I can't log in because I don't have a thing. Somebody else on uh, on Podbean said, "Would you please talk about the website?" RecallNow.us. Let me just say something briefly about that. I met with some folks recently in Hot Springs, and they said, look, we don't think we're going to make it to November 24 with Joe Biden and Kamala Harris um, in charge. We don't think this country can can, uh, can stand another three years of these people. And we need a constitutional amendment allowing for the recall of a president of the United States. Uh, three presidents have been impeached, but none of them have been convicted of impeachment. And we need this constitutional amendment. And they, I thought they made a pretty good case. I thought they made a pretty good case. Especially when you see that... Uh, Putin now is has his uh, nukes on high alert, and Biden takes a weekend off and is going to have a cabinet meeting come up Thursday. Stumbling into stumbling into what could be what could be World War Three, and he, he doesn't give a rip. He doesn't care. And the people pulling his puppet strings are just so so stupid. They're so incompetent. So anyway. You really 
might want to take a look at recallnow.us. The case for recalling the President of the United States. All right. Now, once again, we are so thankful for our advertisers that allow us to do what we do every day. And let me just say a word about a couple of them. If you try to buy a, a vehicle recently, you may have realized how difficult that process is because there's such a chip shortage. You might have a hard time finding what you're looking for. I actually know people who had to buy vehicles from hundreds of miles away from where they live because of the shortages. Well, that's where Red River Your Way comes in. Red River Your Way is a big old car dealership in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom, including the freedom to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV the way you want to. You can buy online, and they'll drive it to you no matter where you are. Red River Your Way wants to make your car buying experience as easy and transparent as possible. Now, since I'm in central Arkansas, I had to buy a car recently, and I just went to uh, one of their car lots. And it was the fastest car buying experience I've ever had, the nicest, friendliest folks at a car dealership I've ever dealt with, and the best deal I ever got. We are just deliriously happy with our 2013 Honda Accord with only 85,000 miles on it. Anyway, you can buy online. They'll drive it to you no matter where you are in the continental United States. Red River Your Way wants to make your car buying experience as easy and transparent as possible. That's why they've added technology to their website that puts you in complete control of your payment options and allows you to complete the entire purchase process online. Anywhere in the U.S. But don't worry, Red River experts are still here to help you every step of the way if you have any questions. Red River makes it so easy. As you browse their selection, you'll see each vehicle has a button on it that says Explore Payment Options. Clicking that button guides you through a few easy questions that then create personalized payment options you have complete control over. All you have to do is adjust your preferences and all the math happens automatically so you can figure out what monthly payment works best for your budget. Red River Your Way makes car buying online easy. Your whole car buying process is completely transparent. If you want to buy a car, truck, van, SUV, order online from the nationwide car dealer that believes in freedom, the dealer that will deliver your vehicle to your front door anywhere in the continental United States, no matter where you live. RedRiverYourWay.com. You will be glad you did. I'm sure glad I did. Oh, yes, sir. I am glad I did. All right. Now, let me ask you. We're talking about government overreach, government trying to jam stuff down our throats. Did Obamacare, the so-called Affordable Care Act, make your health care more expensive? Does your health insurance premium feel like a second mortgage? Does your sky-high deductible prevent you from going to the doctor? Do your sky-high co-pays keep you from going to the doctor? Now, if you answer yes to any of those questions... Website you need to go to It's called MyFamilyHealthPlan.com. Big, bold letters, affordable plans, save 30 to 50% on premiums, personalized health coverage, low to no deductible, no co-pays. Man, what a deal. Then a big red button that says schedule call now. You click on that button, 
You book a free consultation with my friend Art Wilborn. He'll make sure there are no gaps in your coverage. Make sure that your personalized health coverage is a plan that doesn't force you to cover horrible things like abortion that would violate your deeply held religious beliefs, like some of those Obamacare plans did. Again, the website is myfamilyhealthplan.com. When you click on myfamilyhealthplan.com, you get affordable plans, save 30 to 50% on premiums, personalized health coverage, low to no deductible, no copays. You click the big red button that says schedule call now. You book a free consultation with my buddy Art Wilborn. He makes sure there are no gaps in your coverage. Save money on your insurance at myfamilyhealthplan.com, and you will be glad that you did. Okay, so, so far, we've been talking about stuff that the Biden regime and the media have been ignoring um, and have been using Ukraine to distract your attention from. Like the fact that um, scientists found a virus, the COVID-19 virus contains a tiny chunk of DNA that matches sequence patented by Moderna three years before the pandemic began, and there's only a one in three trillion chance that Moderna's sequence randomly appeared through natural evolution. Sounds criminal to me. Sounds criminal to me. Of course, this this Justice Department, I can't say under this president because I'll never call him president. They stole it. He's the usurper. This Justice Department under this usurper will never open a criminal investigation into that. We must pray that we get a conservative Republican elected November 2024. I don't know how they're going to allow it. But we must pray for God's grace and mercy because there are a lot of people that need to be investigated and indicted. All right? Also, national vaccine passes quietly rolled out and red states are getting on board, including Arkansas. Has anybody talked about that? Anybody at all? No. No. Now, before I get to go, what, what, what is actually going on, the context for Ukraine, a brilliant article from the great Lee Smith over at Tablet Mag. I, uh, I got to share you a, another story with you that's just heartbreaking. Um, that dropped last night. Again, that the media and Biden are trying to distract you from. The great Julie Kelly over at American Greatness. Article entitled, The Suicide of a January 6th Defendant. Quote, they broke him, unquote. And she says, Matthew Perna did nothing wrong on January 6, 2021. 
The Pennsylvania man walked through an open door on the Senate side of the building shortly before 3 p.m. that afternoon. Capitol Police, shown in surveillance video, stood by as hundreds of Americans entered the Capitol. Wearing a Make America Great Again sweatshirt, 37-year-old Matthew Perna left the Capitol after about 20 minutes. Less than two weeks later, Perna was ensnared in what the former top U.S. prosecutor called a shock and awe campaign to round up Trump supporters and deter them from demonstrating at Joe Biden's inauguration January 20th, 2021. After he discovered his image on the FBI's most wanted list for January 6th, Matthew Perna immediately contacted his local FBI office and voluntarily submitted to questioning. On January 18th, Six FBI agents arrested Matthew Perna at his home. Well, no good deed goes unpunished, right? His life from that point turned into a nightmare. Perna was indicted. Perna was indicted by a grand jury in February 2021 on four counts, including obstruction of an official proceeding and trespassing misdemeanors. Despite his nonviolent participation in the events of that day, He did not assault anyone, carry a weapon, or vandalize property. Biden's Justice Department and local news media nonetheless made his life pure hell. Whenever his hometown paper, the Sharon Herald, out of Sharon, Pennsylvania, published an article on his social media account about Matthew Perna, the majority of replies were, quote, horrible and brutal, unquote, according to his aunt, Jerry Perna, who spoke with this reporter on the phone yesterday. After more than a year of legal and public torture, Matthew Perna saw no way out. On Friday night, he hung himself in his garage. His, his, his aunt, Jerry Perna, said through racking sobs, as she explained why her loved one ended his life, quote, they broke him. They mentally broke him. He had run out of hope. I know he couldn't take it anymore, unquote. In December, at the behest of his defense attorney, Matthew Perna agreed to plead guilty to all four counts. With no criminal record and no violent conduct on January 6th, Perna and his family expected a prison sentence of less than a year, Perna's sentencing hearing was scheduled for March 3rd, the seven-year anniversary of his mother's death. But Matthew Graves, U.S. Attorney for the District of Columbia, handling every January 6th prosecution, intervened and asked the court to delay Matthew Perna's sentencing so his office could make sure capital defendants are punished equally. In a motion February 11th, Matthew Graves wrote, and I quote, While every case and every defendant are different, the government is attempting to ensure that similarly situated January 6th defendants are treated in the same manner. The government is attempting to do in this case, and that requires, oh, pardon me, the government is attempting to do that in this case, and that requires additional time for the government's internal review process to be completed, unquote. 
Now, this, this is very bad news for Matthew Perno because Prosecutor Graves' office has sought lengthy prison terms for defendants who pled guilty to the obstruction felony. In the case of Jacob Chanley, the guy who was walking around in the um, the vest with a, the Viking hat on, who, like Perna, committed no violent act on January 6th and was allowed into the building by police, Biden's Justice Department sought 51 months in jail and three years probation. Judge Royce Lamberth sentenced him to 41 months. In sentencing recommendations on obstruction pleas, prosecutors have compared defendants to domestic terrorists and asked judges to act accordingly. One of Prosecutor Graves' assistant prosecutors wrote in Jacob Chansley's sentencing memo, quote, the need to deter others is especially strong in cases involving domestic terrorism, which the breach of the Capitol certainly was. The sentence of this court must drive home this fact for this defendant and any others who may wish to emulate him. Crimes committed against this country and democracy will be prosecuted and punished in accordance with the law. So that appears to be what Graves would have demanded in Matthew Perna's case as well. When Perna learned his sentencing hearing was again delayed, he called his aunt. He told her, quote, I am guilty. I am guilty. He said that he deserved whatever punishment they were going to give him. That was the last straw. The constant harassment was too much, unquote. Now, Perna, Matthew Perna, is at least the second known suicide of a January 6th defendant, and in September, another defendant, John Anderson, died unexpectedly. His attorney, Marina Medvin, condemned the Justice Department's false case against her client and in a statement said he died a wrongly accused man who maintained his innocence to his last day. Perna's aunt told reporter Julie Kelly that Matthew graduated at the top of his class at Penn State University and traveled the world teaching children in Southeast Asia how to speak English. After his mother's death, she died suddenly from a hospital mishap after fully recovering from a bout of leukemia. Perna became disillusioned with the healthcare industry and interested in more holistic remedies. At the time of his arrest, Perna was doing well as a CBD distributor with clients in many countries. All that changed after January 6th. His father, Larry, wrote to Judge John Bates seeking leniency for his son. He said, quote, We lost many friendships after the news was plastered all over the local newspapers. We were no longer comfortable going out in public, something I never in my life thought I would experience in the town where our family was respected and well-known. This past year cost Matthew his income, the love of his life, his friendships, and his standing in the community. He will never be the same. And I ask that you take all of this into consideration before sentencing him, unquote. But that sort of isolation clearly isn't enough to satisfy Joe Biden's Justice Department as it continues to seek revenge against Americans 
who protested Joe Biden's election on January 6th. Federal prosecutors want jail time even for those charged with low-level misdemeanors such as parading at the Capitol. Perna's original indictment still includes the lie that Kamala Harris was in the building during the protest that day, the basis for thousands of criminal charges. It is unclear whether his lawyer notified the court about the falsehood before accepting the plea offer. Desperate for help. Matthew Perna and his family reached out to numerous political leaders, including Donald Trump. His aunt, Jerry Perna, told reporter Julie Kelly on Christmas Day, Matthew went to Mar-a-Lago and attempted to get a letter to the former president to explain his plight. He did not, su- he did not succeed in getting the letter to Trump. Matthew Perna's aunt, Jerry Perna, told reporter Julie Kelly, I want Trump and everyone to know Matt's name. We are so angry and upset. Someone has to pay for this, unquote. She said her nephew was a longtime backer of Bernie Sanders before he came, became a Trump supporter. But Julie Kelly asks, will anyone pay for this? She says in a fair world, local reporters... U.S. Attorney Matthew Graves and his prosecutors, Judge John Bates, and anyone involved in this abusive prosecution would reevaluate the human cost of what they're doing and hang their heads in shame. Thousands of lives destroyed, and for what? To soothe the fragile ego of Joe Biden and quench the insatiable lust for revenge by the Democrat Party to notch legal victories, to advance beltway careers, to create clickbait headlines. But these people have no shame. So no moment of reflection can be expected. Julie Kelly says after we spoke Sunday, Matthew's aunt Jerry, his father Larry, headed to the funeral home to make arrangements for Matthew. His father, Larry, told Julie Kelly, his voice breaking, I miss my son. This leaves a giant hole in my heart. I don't know how I will get through this. He was a good person, so kind and considerate, he couldn't harm a flea. Matthew Perna was failed by the country he loved, demonized by the news media, tormented by the world's most powerful law enforcement, ignored by political leaders of both parties, and betrayed by a federal judge sworn to defend justice, not appease the whims of a vengeful regime. They all have blood on their hands now. I, uh, I told you it was heartbreaking. That's Julie Kelly over at amgreatness.com, America Greatness, the suicide of a January 6th defendant. They broke him. That's just wild. That's just wild. Oh. Somebody says, hey, Doc, I have some potential advertisers. How should they contact well, that's a good question. 
Let me make sure I get it right. Let me make sure I get it right. <laughs> no, I think I probably should write this down. I think I should should probably answer this question. Okay, let me see. Contact at docwashburnshow.com and thank you. Somebody else says, um, Sarah Huckabee Sanders ran an ad during the Razorback basketball game Saturday. She was walking with President Trump in the ad. She's pretty much stabbing him in the back, endorsing French Hill, but using him to get votes. Wake up, Arkansas. Exactly. Wake up, Arkansas. Yeah, see, that's when my um, that's when my phone started ringing. Um, people started calling my phone, saying, "Look, she needs a challenger here. She's endorsing people as traps, stab Trump in the back, and all the while." using her connection with Trump to run for governor. That's when my phone started ringing. Okay, now, I've got for you what's really going on in Ukraine, the context for what's really going on and what led up to it in just a moment from the, uh, from the great Lee Smith, from the great Lee Smith, over tabletmag.com. I've interviewed him before. Um, he's a guy. He wrote a couple of books about the crimes that were committed against President Trump. The big one, The Permanent Coup, How Enemies Foreign and Domestic Targeted the American president, which came out in 2020, in the fall of 2020. He's a great guy. He's a great guy, Lee Smith. We'll have his article giving the context, explaining what's really going on in Ukraine in just a moment. But first, a word about a couple of our wonderful advertisers. We really appreciate them. Justin Minton, M-I-N-T-O-N, Minton in Benton, Benton, Arkansas. Justin's a former insurance adjuster who left the insurance industry to become a private lawyer. Founded the Minton Law Firm to help injured people fight against powerful insurance companies and corporations. And he sure helped me out when I was in two automobile accidents back in 2019. Now, the Minton Law Firm has a great team of lawyers, including the 2016 Trial Lawyer of the Year and the 2016 Outstanding Young Lawyer of the Year. The insurance companies take Justin Minton and his team of lawyers seriously because they know they can and will take your case to trial if need be. So, whether you want to go to trial or settle out of court, it's a good idea to have a knowledgeable trial attorney on your side. Justin's team aims to bring justice to clients who've been injured and need somebody to stand up for them, no matter what the injury. Justin meant to make sure the mental law firm always works hard for you. 
whether you're in a car wreck or in the job or you or a loved one is suffering for the carelessness of another, Justin Minton Law, M-I-N-T-O-N, Minton at, in Benton, Arkansas, is here to help you. If you're anywhere in the state of Arkansas, just call the Minton Law Firm, 501-943-4195, or visit justinmintonlaw.com today. All right. Next, the best-kept secret in American healthcare Might be able to help you here. If you have migraines, neck pain, back pain, vertigo, even problems with your blood sugar. Let's do a little, do a little test here. Look in a mirror. Does one eye look bigger than the other? Are your eyes off balance? Are your shoulders off balance? Look at a picture of yourself. Are you leaning to the left or the right instead of standing up or sitting up straight? The answer to any of these questions is yes, you probably need to get your atlas adjusted. That's how I got rid of my migraines, my neck pain, my back pain. Here's how it works. Your skull weighs anywhere from 8 to 15 pounds. It rests on the top bone of your spinal column, the atlas, which only weighs 2 ounces. So it's really easy for that atlas to get out of alignment. And if it does get out of alignment, your whole spinal column can get kinked up like a chain, restricting your central nervous system's ability to send impulses to the rest of your body. It can affect your respiratory system, your circulatory system, your reproductive system, and yes, even your digestive system. And it can cause migraines, neck pain, back pain, vertigo, problems with your blood sugar. Do yourself a favor. If you're in central Arkansas, call my friends at the Arkansas Upper Cervical Center, 501-279-2009, for a free consultation to see if you need to get your atlas adjusted. Or if you're outside central Arkansas and you're like, hey, that sounds like something I might need. Yeah, you're probably right. Just go to their website, turnmypoweron.com, click on the button that says find a doctor near you, and I hope there is one. Because this is rare. Again, best kept secret in American healthcare. All right, let's go right to it. Lee Smith over tabletmag.com. The article is entitled Ukraine's Deadly Gamble. Subtitled by tying itself to a reckless and dangerous America, the Ukrainians made a blunder that client states will study for years to come. And he says, Russian President Vladimir Putin chose this war, Joe Biden said in his Thursday afternoon speech to America regarding the conflict in Ukraine. Now, that's true, but U.S. elites also had something to do with Putin's ugly and destructive choice. A role that Democrats and Republicans are eager to pay for over with noble-sounding rhetoric about the bravery of Ukraine's badly outgunned military. Yes, the Ukrainian soldiers standing up to Putin are very brave. But it was Americans that put them in harm's way by using their country as a weapon, first against Russia and then against each other, with little consideration for the Ukrainian people who are now paying for the price for America's folly. It's not an expression of support for Putin's grotesque actions to try to understand why it seemed worthwhile for him to risk hundreds of billions of dollars, the lives of thousands of servicemen, and the possible stability of his own regime in order to invade his neighbor. 
After all, Putin's reputation until this moment has always been as a shrewd former KGB guy who stayed away from high-risk gambles in favor of sure things backed by the United States, like entering Syria and then escalating forces there. So why has he adopted exactly the opposite strategy here and chosen the road of open, high-risk confrontation with the American superpower? Yes, Putin wants to prevent NATO from expanding to Russia's border. But the larger question, pardon me, but the larger answer as to why he has done this thing is that he finds the U.S. government's relationship with Ukraine genuinely threatening. That's because for nearly two decades, the U.S. national security establishment under both Democrat and Republican administrations has used Ukraine as an instrument to destabilize Russia and specifically to target Putin. While the timing of Putin's attack on Ukraine is no doubt connected to a variety of factors, including the Russian dictator's read on U.S. domestic politics and the preferences of his own superpower sponsor in Beijing, the sense that Ukraine poses a meaningful threat to Russia is not a product of Putin's paranoia or of a sudden desire to restore the power and prestige of the Soviet Union, however much Putin might wish for that to happen. Rather, it's a geopolitical threat that has grown steadily more pressing and been employed with greater recklessness by Americans and Ukrainians alike over the past decade. That Ukraine has allowed itself to be used as a pawn against the powerful neighbor is in part the fault of Kiev's reckless and corrupt political class. But Ukraine is not a superpower that owes allies and client states judicious leadership. That's the role of the United States. And in that role, the U.S. has failed Ukraine. More broadly, the use of Ukraine as a goad against enemies foreign and domestic has recklessly damaged the failing yet necessary European security architecture that America spent 75 years building and maintaining. Why can't the American security establishment shoulder responsibility for its role in the tragedy unfolding in Ukraine? Well, because to discuss American responsibility openly would mean exposing the national security establishment's role in two separate destructive coups. The first in 2014, targeting the government of Ukraine, and the second starting two years later, the government of the United States. Oh, yes, the plot against President Trump. Now, in the last year, there have been two attempted pro-democracy inter-elite coups and pro-Kremlin states on Russian borders, Belarus and Kazakhstan. Both of those so-called color revolutions failed, but Ukraine represents a much more pressing concern, especially given the country's push for NATO membership, which Biden officials like Secretary of State Anthony Blinken publicly encouraged last year with no intention or possibility of actually making it possible. Yet rather than compelling the United States to rethink the wisdom of planting the NATO flag on Russia's border, Putin's escalating rhetoric and troop movements only made the Biden team dig in deeper. Now this is a game that Biden and key figures in his administration have been playing for a long time, 
Beginning with the 2013-2014 Obama administration-backed coup that toppled a Russia-friendly government in Kiev. This was a so-called Maidan Revolution, a sequel of sorts to the George W. Bush-backed Orange Revolution of 04 and 05. But much of that same Obama foreign policy team from 2014, Anthony Blinken, Jake Sullivan, Victoria Newland, Susan Rice, and others, is now back in the White House State Department working in senior posts for a president who personally ran Obama's Ukraine policy. Wait, 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 wait. We can't call Biden president. Come on, Lee Smith. Anyway, what did all these figures have in mind for Ukraine? Well, the White House and U.S. foreign policy experts from both parties are united in claiming that Ukraine is U.S. ally, a democracy, and a beacon of freedom which are no doubt fine words to hear when you have been left to fight Vladimir Putin on your own. But to understand what Ukraine truly is, we must start where all geopolitics begin by looking at a map. Now, Ukraine is situated between two greater powers, Russia on the one side, European Union on the other side. That makes Ukraine a buffer state, a buffer state. Geopolitical logic dictates that buffer states cultivate and maintain cordial relationships with the greater powers that surround them unless they want to be swallowed up by one of those powers. That's because siding with one great power against another often leads to catastrophe. No less an authority than the prophet Isaiah tells us so. He warned the Jews not to side with the Pharaoh, a broken reed he called Egypt, which pierces the hand of anyone who leans on it, in the dynasty's conflict with the Babylonians. Prophet Isaiah was right. The Jews bet wrong and were dragged off into exile. Now today, Israel is no longer a buffer state, rather it's regional power. But geography didn't change. Which means that Israel is still a tiny country surrounded by larger entities like Turkey and Iran. So, how did the Jewish state transcend buffer state status? Well, because it acquired what is reportedly a large nuclear arsenal with air, land, and sea delivery capabilities, the vaunted nuclear triad, which render it immune to an enemy's first strike and ensures, for the time being anyway, that Israel is no longer a stomping ground for empires. Conversely, Ukraine gave up its nuclear arsenal in 1994, in exchange for U.S. security guarantees in the event its neighbors, Russia in particular, turned hostile. Now, what kind of strategy dictates that a state hand over its security vis-a-vis local actors to a country half of the world away? No strategy at all. Ukraine was not able to transcend its natural geography as a buffer state, and worse, a buffer state that failed to take its own existence seriously, which meant that it would continue to make disastrously bad bets. In 2013, the European Union offered Kiev a trade deal, which many misunderstood as likely prelude to membership in the European Union. Well, young Ukrainians very much want to join the EU because they want access to Europe so they can flee Ukraine, which remains one of the poorest countries on the continent. 
The trade deal was an ill-conceived EU project to take a shot at Putin with what seemed like little risk. The idea was to flood the Ukrainian market and therefore also the Russian market with European goods, which would have harmed the Russian economy, leading, the architects of this plan imagined, to popular discontent that would force Putin himself from office. Now, Putin understandably saw this stratagem as a threat to his country's stability and his personal safety, so he gave Ukrainian President Viktor Yanukovych an ultimatum. Either reject the deal and accept Moscow's $15 billion aid package in its place, or else suffer crippling economic measures. When Yanukovych duly reneged on the EU deal, the Obama administration helped organize street demonstrations for what became history's most tech-savvy and PR-driven regime change operation, marketed to the global public variously as Maidan, Euromaidan, or the Revolution of Dignity. So in February 2014, the, process, the protests forced Yanukovych into exile in Moscow. Consequently, Victoria Newland and other Obama administration officials worked to assemble a new Ukrainian government friendly to the United States and therefore hostile to Russia. In late February 2014, the Russians responded to the, to the American soft coup in Ukraine by invading Crimea and eventually annexing it and creating chaos in eastern Ukraine. The Obama administration declined to arm the Ukrainian government. Now, it was right to avoid conflict with Moscow, though by leaving Kiev defenseless, it showed the White House had never fully gamed out all the possible scenarios that might ensue from setting a client state on course with, for conflict with a greater power. Instead, Obama and the Europeans highlighted their deadly miscalculation by imposing sanctions on Moscow for taking advantage of the conditions that Obama and the Europeans had created in the first place. The White House seems to have taken a perverse pride in the death and destruction it helped incite in Eastern Europe. In April 2014, CIA Director John Brennan actually visited Kiev, appearing to confirm the CIA's role in the coup. Shortly after came Vice President Biden, who took his own victory lap and counseled the Ukrainians to root out corruption. Naturally, a prominent Ukrainian energy company called Burisma, which was then under investigation for corruption, hired Joe Biden's son, Hunter, for protection. Sound familiar? Remember that part? Yeah. Now, by tying itself to an American administration that had shown itself to be reckless and dangerous, the Ukrainians made a geopolitical blunder that statesmen will study for years to come. A buffer state had staked its future on a distant power that had simply seen it as an instrument to annoy its powerful neighbor with no attachment to any larger strategic concept that it was willing to support. Russia then lopped off half of the Donbass region of eastern Ukraine on the Russian border and subjected Ukraine to a grinding eight-year-long war 
intended in large part to underline Russian capacity and Ukrainian and American impotence. Ukraine then made a bad situation even worse. When the same people who had left them prey to Putin asked him to take sides in an American domestic political conflict, the Ukrainians enthusiastically signed on instead of running hard in the opposite direction. In 2016, the Hillary Clinton campaign came calling on Ukrainian officials and activists to lend some Slavic authenticity to its Russia collusion narrative targeting Donald Trump. Indeed, Russiagate's central storyline was about Ukraine. So they floated, they floated a story out there that Trump had been compromised by a sex tape filmed in Moscow, but Putin's ostensible reason for helping Trump when the, when the presidency was to get him to drop Ukraine-related sanctions. So, here was another chance for Ukraine to stick it to Putin and gain favor with what it imagined would be the winning party, Hillary and the Democrats, in the American election. With the CIA's John Brennan and a host of senior FBI and DOJ officials pushing Russiagate into the press and running an illegal espionage campaign against the Trump team, Ukrainian political figures gladly joined in. Key participants included Kiev's ambassador to Washington, who wrote a Trump-Russia piece for the U.S. press, and a member of the Ukrainian parliament who allegedly contributed to the Christopher Steele dossier. The collusion narrative was also augmented by Ukrainian-American operatives like Alexandra Chalupa, who was tied into the Democrat Party's NGO complex. The idea that this game might have had consequences for Ukraine's relations with its more powerful neighbor doesn't seem to have entered the heads of either the feckless Ukrainians or the American political operatives who cynically used them. Of course, Ukraine was hardly the only American client state to involve itself in domestic political gamesmanship. By appearing before the U.S. Congress to argue against Obama's nuclear deal with Iran, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu took sides with the Republicans against sitting American President Obama, which seems like an even bigger potential faux pas. The differences between the two situations, though, are even more revealing. The Iran deal actually touched on a core Israeli national interest. As U.S. ally, Israel was challenging the wisdom of handing nuclear weapons to its own and America's leading regional competitor and rival, Iran. By contrast, Ukraine had no existential or geopolitical reason to participate in the anti-Trump operation, which allowed it at best to curry favor with one side of the D.C. establishment while angering what turned out to be the winning power, the winning party in 2016, Trump and the Republicans. Russiagate was a kind of vanity project that a buffer state with a plunging GDP and an army equipped with 40-year-old ex-Soviet weapons in a notoriously risky area of the world can ill afford, especially one that lacked a nuclear arsenal. And that was only the beginning. Just as Russiagate 
seem to be coming to a close July 2019. U.S. national security officials injected yet another Ukraine-related narrative into the public sphere to target American President Donald J. Trump. This one appears to have been initiated by Ukrainian-American White House official Alexander Vindman and his colleague Eric Chiaramella, remember that name? A CIA analyst who had served as Biden's point man on Ukraine during the Obama administration. When Vindman told Chiaramella about a phone call in which Trump had asked the Ukrainian president for information regarding allegations about the Biden family's corrupt activities in Kiev, they called on help from U.S. intelligence services, the State Department, the Pentagon, Democrat Party officials, and the press. Quick! Scramble Team Ukraine! Trump is asking questions! In order to cover up for what the Bidens and perhaps other senior Obama officials had done in Ukraine, a Democrat Congress impeached Trump for trying to figure out what American policymakers had been doing in Ukraine over the past decade. As for the Ukrainians, they again put themselves in the middle of it when they should have stayed home. The end result was that the Ukrainians had helped weaken an American president, Donald Trump, who, unlike Obama, gave them arms to defend themselves against the Russians. More seriously, they reinforced Putin's view that, especially in partnership with the Democrats, Ukraine did not understand its true place in the world as a buffer state and would continue to allow themselves to be used as an instrument by policymakers whose combination of narcissism and fecklessness made them particularly prone to dangerous miscalculations. Joe Biden getting into office because of what was done in 2020. Joe Biden, a man whose family had been paid by the Ukrainians to protect them, can have done done little to quiet Putin's sense that Ukraine needed to be put in its place before it was used yet again as a weapon against him. From the perspective of the U.S. national security establishment, Biden's victory over Trump signaled that its actions in Ukraine would stay hidden. So long as the media continued to bark that President Number 45, Donald J. Trump, was Putin's stooge, no one would be held accountable for anything. Except, as it turns out, D.C. political operatives aren't the only people who can make history. Vladimir Putin can too. And the people of Ukraine will come out much the worse for both of their efforts. That's a remarkable article from tabletmag.com. Ukraine's Deadly Gamble, written written by the great Lee Smith, author of The Permanent Coup, How Enemies Foreign and Domestic Targeted the American President in 2020. Just remarkable. But I... uh, I thought I should share it with you because I've been having a hard time even though I realize Ukraine is being used to distract us from things, okay? I've been having a hard time trying to figure out what's going on over there. I read this. I'm like, oh, I get it. I get it now. Okay. This makes sense. Yeah. 
Lee Smith over tabletmag.com. That's um, that's something you want to uh, maybe spend some time with, share with your friends, wrap your mind around it. So, oh, oh no, you're right, you're right, you're right, absolutely. Hit it, Brian. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. It's the Doc Washburn Show Tweet of the Day. All right, brought to you by brought to you by RedRiverYourWay.com, the big old car dealership in the middle of the United States of America that believes in freedom, including your freedom to buy the car, truck, van, or SUV of your choice the way you want to online have it delivered to you anywhere in the continental United States of America. Okay. And I guess I've got like a, uh, like a three-way tie for Tweet of the Day. Thank you, Red River, you're away. The great Jordan Schachtel, independent journalist over there on Substack, says the Associated Press, via an anonymous U.S. official, is sourced for a favor, uh, a famous quote from uh, Vladimir Zelensky, Prime Minister of Ukraine. After an offer from the U.S. to transport him to safety, Z- Zelensky shot back, I need ammunition, not a ride, he said in Ukrainian, according to a senior U.S. intel official with direct, uh, direct knowledge of the conversation, unquote. Jordan Schachtel says, is it true? The anonymous official with direct knowledge of the conversation doesn't even place that official on the phone with Zelensky. He or she could have just heard it from someone who allegedly spoke to Zelensky. Long game of telephone, it seems. This report came the same night that U.S. officials claimed Biden was communicating directly with Zelensky on the phone. Yet we did not see Biden until the next afternoon, 24 hours after Russia moved on Ukraine. Was Biden just sleeping? Is the entire Zelensky narrative manufactured? From 2016 to 2020, virtually everything hidden behind the cloak of anonymous senior U.S. official ended up false. Trump Russia, Russian bounties, etc. I have no reason to believe that this one holds unique credibility. I don't either. I believe... Biden was formerly asleep when they said late at night on Fox News he was talking to Zelensky on the phone. There's no way. There's no way. Additionally, Jordan Schachtel points out the AP writer on the Zelensky quote byline has contributed his own subjective analysis on Putin's narrative, claiming it is fiction. A few days later, the same writer contributed a piece that reads as a hagiography to Zelensky. Like, you know, Kind of puffing the guy up. Matt Walsh, the great Matt Walsh over the blaze, responds, it is safe to assume that every story out of Ukraine that sounds like something Hollywood might come up with is false unless there is direct and compelling evidence to the contrary. Okay, that's number one for Tweet of the Day. Number two for Tweet of the Day, the great David Limbaugh, brother of the late great Rush Hudson Limbaugh, says today, Jen Psaki, says Biden wants to make the U.S. energy independent through renewable energy. Renewable energy. That alone demonstrates his mental incompetence, either due to physical decline or ideological imprisonment or both. 
To quote the Wicked Witch of the West, oh, what a world, what a world. Last but not least, three-way tie for Tweet of the Day, the great Robert J. O'Neill, the guy that uh, executed Osama bin Laden, reminds us FEMA just updated their guidelines for a nuclear strike on us. They recommend social distancing in shelters. Oh, and wearing masks. Seriously. Seriously. That's what FEMA says. That's what FEMA says. If Russia launches nukes at us, we need to social distance and wear masks. Now, I don't believe Russia's going to launch nukes at us. But I'm just saying. That's some crazy stuff there. Crazy stuff. Thank you so much. Thank you so much to our friends at Red River Your Way for sponsoring the tweet of the day. Red River Your Way, when you buy the car, truck, van, or SUV of your choice online the way you want to and have it delivered to your front door anywhere in the continental United States. I'm really happy with the deal I got from Red River Your Way. Okay, uh, before we wrap this up, NBC News interviewed Vladimir Putin a little while back, and uh, he had something to say about January 6th. Here he is. Can I ask you, can I just ask you a direct question? Did you order Alexei Navalny's assassination? Of course not. We don't have this kind of habit of assassinating anybody. That's one. Number two is, I want to ask you, did you order the assassination of the woman who walked into the Congress and who was shot and killed by a policeman? Do you know that 450 individuals were arrested after entering the Congress and they didn't go there to steal a laptop? They came with political demands. 450 people have been detained. And that's where the clip ends. Did you order the assassination of uh, Ashley Babbitt? The guy, the guy knows how to play the the, the propaganda game. I, I'm just saying, and he had a good point. He had a good point. Pray that God will spare our country. Pray for His grace and mercy that we can elect a conservative Republican president in 2024, and the election will actually count and won't be stolen. Because a lot of people need to be prosecuted, including that police officer who still has his job who murdered a woman in cold blood on January 6, 2021, Ashley Babbitt, and the other police who murdered Roseanne Boyland, apparently, down in the tunnel. It's all another show. i got to run to it. Running for governor. I appreciate your support. I appreciate your help. Appreciate everybody who's donated to us at electdocwashburn.com. You've been listening to the 97th episode of the all-new Doc Washburn Show. The views and opinions expressed on the Doc Washburn Show do not necessarily reflect those of our advertisers, but they love us and we love them. Today's program has been produced by Tim Terrible, directed by Mick Messy. This has been a terribly messy production. Portions of today's show will be taken overseas and dropped. If you'd like a transcript of today's episode of the all-new Doc Washburn Show, simply peel the roof off a Rolls-Royce panel truck and send it to Mansour's Computer Solutions, 7th floor of the Ephemeral B. Smoot Building, 
Whitehall, Arkansas, in care of Sheriff Mansour Sempier X. Well, that's the way it is. Monday, February 28th, 2022.